National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. The U.S. Supreme Court's Dobbs decision overturned Roe v. Wade's false assertion that abortion is a federally protected right. That means the question of regulating abortion in America is returning to the 50 states. Many legislators and citizens will be faced with decisions on this important topics in the coming months. So this week on Register Radio, we are joined by Paul Linton, a Catholic attorney and author of Abortion Under State Constitutions, and we'll be discussing the upcoming state battles on abortion. And then we talk with Elisa Murphy, the Register's managing editor of ncregister.com, with a, a roundup of stories you won't want to miss. I'm Jeanette Mello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, and of course I'm your host here on Register Radio. I'm joined by Matthew Bunsen, my co-host and EWTN News' Executive Editor. We've been covering this topic, Matthew, uh, for months, um, leading up to the Dobbs decision in June, the fall of Dobbs, the fall of Roe, excuse me, after 50 years of a so-called right uh, to abortion is a very, very big deal. And it has sent basically tremors, if we want to use the earthquake analogy, Indeed. to all the states, right? Um, well, who right. are now, yeah, they're now having to decide this crucial question uh, for themselves. Um, so uh, we've invited someone who is, is really an expert on this, uh, the state battle or the state um, regulation of abortion, and that's uh, Paul Linton. As I mentioned in the intro, he's an attorney, uh, and he has written a book called Abortion Under State Constitutions, and it's, it's really a comprehensive state-by-state -state analysis of abortion as a so-called constitutional, state constitutional right. Uh, so, Paul, it's so great to have you. Thank you. You've been very gracious to the register. You've um, appeared as a source in a couple of, of our stories as we've covered uh, the fall of Roe. Um, so it's really good to talk to you here on Register Radio. Uh, you know, uh, I guess my first thought, you know, we've got 50 states. Um, not everyone, not all of these states are, are deciding something on abortion immediately. Um, some are. So my first thought is, is there sort of a tally on where the states fall? Can we, can we talk about, you know, um, a couple of categories on where they fall on the issue of abortion? Uh, yes, I think that would be a good way to start. I would say there's probably about 18 states in the country where, for both political and or legal reasons, uh, they would not be able to prohibit abortions, um, certainly not most abortions. Uh, states like California, uh, unfortunately, my state of Illinois, New York, Massachusetts, a number of other states. So I think of those 18 states, you're not going to see any type of legislation offered that would uh, implement uh, the decision in Dobbs allowing states to regulate and even prohibit abortions. Then you have um, 18 or 19 states, uh, actually 19 now, that have abortion prohibitions uh, on the books that apply throughout pregnancy with limited exceptions. Those 19 states account for about a third of the total population of the country. And then you have another uh, 14 states, uh, somewhat in the middle, where 
Uh, in some instances, they might like to enact some type of abortion prohibition, but there are state constitutional impediments to doing so in those states. Uh, in other states, uh, there are no constitutional issues at the moment, but they would need uh, to change their political situation somewhat. That would include Pennsylvania with respect to the governor's office, North Carolina with respect to the governor's office, and Virginia with respect to the state senate, uh, whose elections will be next year. And then there's a handful of other states that uh, fall into like a third um, subcategory here. So I'd say basically it's a uh, little more than a third where nothing is likely to happen, more than a third where a lot has happened, and then slightly less than a third where something might happen. <laughs> well, uh, I think that might speak to the polarization uh, of our country on this topic, um, but, but maybe that's not the right judgment. Um, is, is this... Um, you know, is that just indicative of, of kind of uh, the polarization, or is it that we really, in a way, the states weren't ready um, for, for Roe to, to, to actually go anywhere? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, after Roe was decided, uh, I think most states, not all states, but most states grappled with trying to regulate abortion within the limits imposed by Roe, which were very significant, you certainly could not prohibit any abortion prior to viability, and whether you could prohibit any after viability was dubious at best. In the process of enacting um, hundreds, if not thousands, of laws regulating abortion, most states wound up repealing their pre-roll laws. In fact, as things stand mm -hmm. now, there are only six states that have unrepealed pre-roll laws on the books, all of which happen to be laws that allow abortion only to save the life of the mother. Uh, but the other 44 states, all their pre-roll laws are gone. Now, in the meantime, some states anticipating a possible overruling decision down the road enacted what are called a contingency statutes. Some people call them trigger statutes that would take effect upon an overruling of Roe. There were uh, 12 states that enacted laws like that, and of course all those laws now either have gone into effect or shortly will go into effect, prohibiting abortion. And then you had uh, uh, an occasional state like Alabama or maybe Oklahoma where they would enact a, a ban post-Roe, but that was not a contingency law. And those laws, some of those laws have been challenged, uh, but other laws, uh, they're, going to, they're going to go into effect because Dobbs has now been overruled. So I think a number of states did anticipate this. Um, certainly, in a way, the states that did not repeal their pre-roll laws were hoping that they could go back into effect. And then you had, you know, about a dozen states that anticipated something like this happening and enacted laws that would take effect upon the overruling of Roe. And most Within of those, those were pro-life states. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, I'm definitely. Go ahead, Matthew. Within those different sets of uh, states and how they've reacted and what's on the books and what's been changed now, are there any surprises to you, states that uh, you would have expected would go one way but are constitutionally in a different direction? Or that where are we exactly with some of these states, and, and are you surprised by any of them? Uh, one state that I was surprised at a state court ruling, uh, goes back about 11 years, was Mississippi. Uh, their state Supreme Court recognized a state right to abortion in a case that was challenging their parental consent law and their informed uh, consent law. 
they actually upheld both the laws, but in the course of the opinion, they had adopted a, um, a right to abortion. Now, I, that's the last state I would have expected a state Supreme Court to do something like that in. Curiously, um, after Dobbs was decided, uh, a Mississippi abortion provider, in fact, the only one left, uh, Jackson Women's Health Organization, they challenged uh, the Mississippi 15-week abortion ban on the basis of that earlier decision. But a, a trial court, uh, a chancellor in Mississippi, uh, determined that because the earlier decision, in effect, relied upon Roe and Casey, it was no longer uh, controlling precedent, and she refused to grant them any type of relief uh, from the 15-week law. And Mississippi also has a trigger law that's gone into effect. So that clinic, as far as I know, has ceased operations in Mississippi. So that would certainly be an example of a, a state where they had a constitutional decision that I would not have ex expected. You know, that really brings me to what I feel some were surprised by, and that's Kansas. Um, were you surprised by the decision um, of the people of Kansas uh, in recent weeks? Uh, I was certainly disappointed that the uh, neutrality amendment was not approved. I thought the vote would be close one way or the other. It obviously was not close. And so you know, people are looking for the guilty parties here, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, a number of explanations have been offered for why the amendment was defeated. Uh, in no particular order, I would say uh, probably a significant contributing factor was the proximity of the Dobbs decision to the vote. You had an overruling decision by the Supreme Court less than six weeks before the measure was voted on in Kansas. That kind of... Uh, uh, rattled some people's cages, so to speak, and energized the other side uh, in a way that I don't think they would have been energized had Dobbs come down later or had they not taken the case. So I think that's, that was a significant factor. I think the wording of the amendment, uh, at least in hindsight, uh, may have come across as being confusing to some mm -hmm. voters. Um, I mean, there were reasons it was drafted the way it was, but uh, nevertheless, it, it may have been confusing and too long for some voters. Uh, another factor is that uh, the opponents of the measure, as far as I know, significantly outspent the proponents. That's always you know, a problem. Uh, a fourth factor is that the, the measure was consistently misrepresented and distorted uh, by its opponents and their allies in the media. For example, I saw a number of yard signs. Uh, on the you know on the internet I wasn't in Kansas but I saw a number of yard signs that were displayed in Kansas saying stop the ban. Well, this amendment would not have banned anything. It simply would have allowed the Kansas legislature to legislate as it would have deemed appropriate with respect to the issue of abortion. I also saw some radio or television ads, 30-second ads that basically said the same thing. So I think for a lot of voters, they were under the impression that this. A measure would have actually banned abortion when it didn't, and and that didn't help. Um, right. And fi and finally, there's a there's a final factor which kind of applies across the board where you're trying to get a yes vote on a proposition, and that is, uh, no votes are always easier to get than yes votes. There's a certain percentage of the population, so I've heard 20 percent, that will vote against anything. Doesn't make mm -hmm. any difference what it is. They'll vote against it. So. Yes votes are harder to win than no votes, so that was an issue, too. Kansas was also so interesting. We're talking, you know, so much about 
the Supreme Courts, whether they're state Supreme Courts or uh, just courts in, in general, the uh, U.S. Supreme Court, doing what is legislation, right? That's what Roe versus Wade was. That's what we, we look at it and we say they basically legislated. Now it moves back uh, to legislatures and to, to the citizens to actually decide the law. It's interesting because Kansas was, was essentially trying to do the same thing, right? It was trying to put in the hands of legislators and uh, citizens uh, the ability to regulate abortion because a, a, a court in their own state basically decided that there was, quote, unquote, a, a constitutional right to abortion in Kansas. So it's very disappointing. Um, Paul, I, I guess where should we be looking right now? Midterms are coming. Uh, there's a lot happening in the states. Which states should we be watching right now? Well, I'd say the, the four principal states to be looking at now would be California, Vermont, uh, Michigan, and Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky has a neutrality amendment on their ballot in November, which I expect would win. It's a short, concise, well-phrased amendment that would preclude any Kentucky court from relying on the Kentucky Constitution to recognize the state right to abortion. There are pro-abortion measures on the ballot in Vermont and California, which I uh, would expect to prevail, unfortunately. And then a, a very significant vote in Michigan, um, a citizen initiative uh, is likely to appear on the ballot. It's very radical in terms of overturning all their abortion laws and certainly would go on beyond the issue of abortion. And that will be fought out uh, by both sides with a great deal of vigor in Michigan. So I would look to those four states in terms of state constitutional ballot propositions uh, that, we'll, uh, that we'll see on the ballot in November. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us. We've been talking to Paul Linton, and we do have an interview at ncregistered.com with Paul. It's called Abortion Goes to the States. Legal Expert Discusses State-Level Efforts. And then there's another one, and it's called Looking Ahead After a Pro-Life Loss in Kansas, in which Paul Linton also comments. So again, Paul, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for your time. When we come back, Matthew and I talk with Elisa Murphy, who manages ncregistered.com with an editor's corner and stories you really won't want to miss. Stay tuned. Archbishop Cordelione talks about the National Catholic Register. The Register's content is so critically important in the society we're living in now. There's an absence of the practice of religion in public life. So all the more important is it for people to be reading the Register so that they can acquire more understanding of our Catholic faith. I've appreciated the catechetical benefits of the content of the Register. It presents very clear Catholic teaching in a way that is easily digestible. To get six free issues, order online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. Call or click today. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director and Editor-in-Chief of the National Catholic Register, and your host here on Register Radio, joined by Matthew Bunce and my co-host. And today we are joined by Elisa Murphy, who is the Register's Managing Editor of Digital Assets, and that's a 
a strange title for the person who manages all of our social media and our website. So she always knows the stories that are trending and the stories that are really just lighten up our readers. So Elisa, thanks for, for being here and always serving our, our readers with wonderful content and following the news cycle so well. Well, it's great to be here. I'm so happy to be chatting with you and Matthew. So really, this first question's a softball. It's, it's really, you know, what this week, which has been a, an incredible week of saints, different saints, um, has, has lit up our site and, and has really just caught your eye. What, what did you like the most about um, the week's traffic and the week's stories? You know, it is amazing. We are here in the dog days of summer, and the days are just packed with so many saints. Uh, days on end of great memorials and feasts and solemnities, which I always loved the way uh, Father Bjorn Lundberg explained solemnities. He always called it the uh, feast day on steroids. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's just, it's so true. And it's just been day after day. We had St. Dominic uh, this past week, some great content. We were resharing on that. Some really very touching pieces about the life of Edith Stein, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, uh, also St. Lawrence, uh, St. Claire of Assisi, uh, St. Jo- um, Jane Francis de Chantel, and of course we are looking to the Assumption uh, next week. Uh, so it's just been a, a tremendous, uh, we are so, it's an embarrassment of riches, right? All of the great content we have um, on our saints and those pieces have been doing extremely well. Uh, And we also have a beautiful piece coming up next week in light of the Assumption, as well as the founding of EWTN, a wonderful look at the um, Our Lady of Angels Chapel in Birmingham. So you don't want to miss that as well. Well, that's awesome. I I think, um, you know, speaking of the Our Lady of Angels Chapel in Birmingham, um, there's adoration there uh, all day long. And when I was working from those offices, I'm no longer in Birmingham, but when I was working from those offices, it was always awesome on my lunch break just to go in and and to uh, go to Mass and then to, to stay for adoration for a few minutes after. And really, the register, along with um, many uh, Catholics across the country, are are joining with the bishops in in trying to have a Eucharistic revival. Um, And uh, to that point, we have a a nice story about kids in adoration. What's what's that story? You know, that will be up uh, this weekend, and that's actually taking a look at what we can learn from Blessed Carlo Acutis in light of bringing our children to the Lord. Jesus himself said, let the little children come to me. And it was so amazing to talk to a few different parents that uh, consistently take their infants and toddlers to the Blessed Sacrament and uh, also vacation Bible schools that actually have a uh, come to mama series where they take the children into uh, the chapel. It's just a a real testimony to the real, the real truth that Jesus is alive in, in the sacrament. And um, we can learn so much by blessed Carlo Acutis. I mean, he was a 15 year old boy that really built the biggest um, site about Eucharistic miracles, something that, you know, once you really 
if you learn that at a young age, you have to imagine what that does to your faith life. As a convert myself, I mean, I was really just so struck by his devotion and then just a, 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 a whole flurry of parents that are really following in those same footsteps. Right. And I should clarify, you know, when you say Carlo Acutis built a site, he, he built a website. I mean, he was a young kid, but a 16 year old, you know, but he was a techie <laughs> and he built a website yes. that basically tracked, I think it was he, you know, that, that, that was dedicated to the Eucharist and tracked different, um, uh, adoration sites and, and that kind of thing. So yeah, and Eucharistic miracles. Exactly. It is tremendous. Yeah, I, I love I the hope fact our- that he was buried in sneakers. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, it's he's quite a witness to our kids, um, and I, I'm, I'm so glad he's getting a lot of attention. Uh, so, yeah. It's, Matthew, you were going to jump in with um, with some content of your own that, that uh, crossed some EWTN platforms this weekend. Well, exactly. We always love to uh, uh, bring all of us together in our coverage of things, and uh, Coach Jim Harbaugh, who made quite a splash uh, with his headlines, uh, gave a, a very profound pro-life speech uh, last month in July uh, as a keynote speaker at Plymouth's Right to Life uh, were made to be courageous uh, in which he he talked about uh, his opposition to abortion and spoke really from the heart about uh, the the whole topic and he was just interviewed on uh, EWTN Pro-Life Weekly uh, with Prudence Robertson and we were able to uh, cover it from both directions, both the Register and Pro-Life Weekly, which uh, I I think it's a very worthy story. And Elise, I know you've been tracking this. You know, it really is an amazing story, especially in light of some of the stories that go around about college uh, campuses and coaches, especially in light of now a lot of players that do get endorsements. Um, Just a really strong witness. And it's amazing how he talks about Uh, Jim Harbaugh, his own experience growing up Catholic and how much that impacted him uh, in his own um, beliefs as a Catholic. His wife as well uh, really speaks to how women have bought into this lie so much. But as as women, we all know, if you hear these stories of these very tragic stories when people do open up about them, there is nothing There's no hope in any of them. And the more honest we are about this reality, um, it's so true, especially as we are now in a post-world world. uh, And you you think of when when kids get into kind of the limelight, you're on the football field, you're looking at maybe playing in the NFL. uh, You have some real high hopes to have a coach that is that honest with you and speaks about if you have a problem, come to me. I am I'm here to help you. I will take that child in. I mean, it really is moving because he himself was an NFL player. So he went through all of that. And I really do love how he not only spoke to his players and his family and everybody around him, but he also spoke to us as Catholics in the pro-life movement when he says, we need to have compassion, not a voice of condemnation. And we are in a new era now where we are speaking to so many that are are, are looking to uh, um, a, a post-world world and what does that look like and he really does just inspire us all to really take that on yes that's right um Elisa, you know you talk about um <laughs> compassion um but also the need to speak truth and uh, there's this trending story um on our website it was a blog actually by kathy schiffer uh that has a real uh, striking headline um young in love 
and at risk of mortal sin. <laughs> um, it's, it's one of those stories that in my mind says, yes, um, we need the truth. And yes, we also need compassion. And this blog kind of combines that. Which, what's Kathy talking about? You know, it's very interesting, this idea that was floated to actually have marriage prep uh, last a year, uh, which typically now couples engage in maybe about six months. Some is a little bit of a more of a speed tracked uh, session, but uh, there is now a potentiality of it being a year. And she really gets to the heart of the issue of the devotion a lot of these um, these couples have in going through marriage prep, in learning more about uh, this new vocation they're entering, and and perhaps maybe some risks involved in that with temptation, um, and it's just a real a real um, reminder of of so many that take our faith to heart. I mean, we've seen so many. Uh, young couples actually now take part in, um, I forget the word, but you know, before you're married, you can actually have this ceremony done as you're engaged with your priest as kind of a, a mark of this, of this um, way forward in your life. And I think that um, Kathy Schiffer really brings to light how, how important it is to really look at first um, the road that these couples are taking, but um, you know, she really kind of analyzes why would we lengthen it? Mm -hmm. And, um, but it's very, she really talks about how there's a real potentiality. Um, you know, the longer you wait for the, you know, um, just with, with mortal sin, uh, but it's definitely a, a, a great read and it's trending like fire on our site right now. Right. It just tells you that this this topic of marriage is is hugely important. I mean, we we talked about the marriage catechumenate and this this idea of waiting longer and, and prepping more a few weeks ago with Peter Jesser Smith here on this show. But the topic is is so important right now, and people instinctively know we need to talk more about marriage because it's in decline, and and it's tragically so. Right. I mean, without marriage. Um, there isn't the family support that is needed without, without family support needed. Um, who, who protects the children, right? <laughs> um, who cares for them and raises them? And that's why we have things like abortion. So I think it's, a, it's really a huge topic, and I'm so glad our audience is so interested in it. We'll, we'll serve more <laughs> of those kind of stories on marriage. Elisa, I'm always grateful to talk to you on Register Radio. Thank you. No, thank you. It's great to be with you. Remember, dear listeners, that there is a lot more news, analysis, and commentary at ncregister.com. Please check out the register there. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello. And until next week, may God bless you. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on EWTN.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.